just hold on to it. We'll pass the baskets down this way at the end of the service, and you can put it in the basket as it passes by. So we have been in this series on the book of Daniel, and this is the, this is the last one. Uh, actually, for me, in a lot of ways, this kind of feels to me like kind of my end of the year because the church kind of runs more on a school calendar rather than the, you know, the regular calendar. And, uh, and, and I've always, I, I like to take all my vacation off at like at the same time. So when I come back, I'm like, I'm rested, kind of ready to go. Like what happens when I take like, I'm, I'm taking four weeks off, what will happen is like the first week I'm just going to drool. You know, I'm just going to lay on my couch and just, and then, and then like, then a couple of weeks of just kind of having fun with the family, doing some different things. And then it, what always happens is a week of like, I can't wait to get back. I can't, let's go. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be great. So, um, so anyway, so yeah, so I'm, so after the Spanish service today, I am starting my vacation. So Norm and I, we actually, we have tickets. We're going to go see Elton John tonight at MetLife Stadium. So I'll be kind of, it'll be kind of fun. <laughs> I don't know if Elton John's ever gotten applauded before in the North Jersey Vineyard Church. That's a first. But uh, that's the official, official start of vacation. But, uh, but it, as, I'm, as I'm finishing up this book on Daniel, um, uh, it's been really, it's been fun. I, you know, I've heard from a lot of you that really enjoyed it. And I always try to take some time and just kind of make sure that we spend some time kind of going verse by verse, you know, through, through the Bible. Uh, and, uh, and so the fun thing about Daniel is it's covered a lot of stuff. It's, there's a lot of really fun narrative passages to preach. Because if you think about some of the different stories, we had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that dramatic, like, you know, bow down to the idol, we're going to throw you into the fiery furnace, we're not going to bow down, we don't care about your fiery furnace. You know, then you had, uh, you had the, the king who thought he was a cow for seven years and, like, you know, lived out in the, lived out in the field. You had the, the handwriting on the wall, remember that? You had, you had Daniel in the lion's den, Charles did a great job preaching about that last week. It's been really fun kind of going through all of these all the narrative passages, but even though there's a lot of history in this book, it's actually, it's one of the prophetic books of the Bible. Actually, Daniel is considered one of the major prophets. And so a big part of this book is prophecy, specifically prophecy as it's related to the end times, to like what's going to happen when God is getting ready to close the curtain and everything's going to finish on like this version of kind of like planet earth as we get ready for the, for the kingdom of God, what's going to happen? And actually Daniel saw a lot of stuff. And Jesus actually, when he talks in Matthew 24, that's his, his discourse on the end of the age, like what's going to happen before he comes back, uh, he quotes Daniel. And so let's start. What we're going to do, what I'm going to do with this, a little bit different, a little bit of a different kind of feel, because what I'm going to do, just kind of give us an overview. So I'm going to, we're going to start with Matthew chapter 24 with Jesus. I'm going to read the whole chapter, but we'll see what Jesus said about the end of the age. Then I'm going to go into uh, three specific passages of Daniel's that deals with the end of the age and we'll kind of just kind of explain like what, what it's saying. And it's, you know, kind of cool and interesting. And then we're going to kind of wrap it up with like, okay, how should we respond to this? What is this? What does this mean for us? And so Matthew chapter 24, starting at verse 3, it says, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and, and the end of the age? So the disciples were like, 
just like everyone, everyone's always been curious. Like, what's going to happen at the end, you know, end time stuff? Let's hear about it. And the disciples were like, tell us, Jesus. Tell us what's going to happen. And Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Now what Jesus is laying out here is saying, listen, let me just even back up a minute. What the Bible teaches, and you'll see Old Testament, New Testament, what the Bible teaches is that this life, like this world, is not the end, right? That this is, this is a fallen world. This is kind of a messed up world. And that one day, Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to close the curtains on kind of, you know, this version of planet Earth. And he's going to begin his kingdom, the kingdom of God. And it's going to be totally different. The lion will lay down with the lamb. There'll be no more war. All this great stuff, right? But that's what Jesus is talking about. What's going to happen leading up to him coming back and setting up his kingdom. And he said, you know what? Things are just going to continue. Like, people are just going to keep on peopling. You know, there's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. There's going to be famines. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be all sorts of stuff going on. But as it gets closer, just like in a pregnancy, right? When you're getting close to giving birth, there are these birth pains. And so as you get closer, it's going to get more intense. There's going to be more plagues, and there's going to be more violence, and there's going to be more rumors of war. And then he goes on in verse 9. I'm not going to read it, but he goes on. And one of the things he says, he talks about the fact that, that hostility towards Christians is going to increase. He says, all nations will hate you, and the love of many will grow cold. Kind of meaning that what's going to happen, there's going to be a lot of pressure on Christians. So imagine, listen, imagine what it would be like, right? Right now, we're living in this time where like, maybe some, someone might think like, oh, you're a Christian. Oh, you go to church a lot. Oh, you're not cool. Why are you so religious? But imagine if everybody hated you. Like if all nations hated you because you were a Christian, how would you do? Like, is your, no, seriously, like, is your faith strong enough that you'd be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And you'd be like, we're not going to bow. I'm just going to keep following Jesus. And I'm going to try to love people, even if they're being mean to me. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to hold on to Jesus. Because what, what Jesus said is that a result of the hostility and the, the pressure, a lot of Christians are going to turn away from the faith. It's going to be too hot for them. It's going to be too much for them to do. That's what Jesus said. Uh, he said, you know, that, uh, that people are going to get harder. People are going to get meaner. That the gospel is going to be preached to all nations. Then he says this in verse 15. He says, he says See when, that when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken through the prophet Daniel. So here's Jesus quoting Daniel. Let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down and take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now. And so what, what Jesus is doing here is he's talking about something that's going to happen in the near future, but it's foreshadowing something that's going to happen at the end of the age. Because in 70 AD, right, so Jesus, you know, probably some, sometime around 30 AD or 32 AD was giving, was, was teaching this. And in 70 AD, there was going to be this guy named General Titus, a Roman general, who was going to besiege Jerusalem, was going to kill lots and lots of people. And it was about, you know, about maybe 40 years, a generation after Jesus is, is teaching this, that Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. And the temple, the rebuilt temple, remember, because there was the temple and then it was destroyed by, by you know, when, when 
the Babylonians invaded, and then it was rebuilt. But then that temple is going to be destroyed again when General Titus comes in. And, uh, and, and Jesus is saying it's going to be really bad. It's going to be really bad. Like, just let's hope that you're not pregnant when that happens. It's, it's, going to be, it's going to be rough. And so it's talking about this thing that's going to happen in the near future. But also, like, when you get into Daniel and you get into other things, you realize it's also talking about what's going to happen in the end of the age. And so just the first thing we need to understand when we're talking about biblical prophecy, we need to understand that it's confusing. Right? It's confusing because here's something that's like going to happen in history, but then maybe it's also going to happen like later. And so it's confusing. And the other thing, if we can just be like honest, like sometimes like Christians focusing on this stuff can make Christians really weird. Have you noticed that? Like, like we just, you know, can get like really kind of into it in this kind of, you know, intense kind of way and be like, well, this is that and this is the other thing. Sometimes people will come up to me and say, Phil, why, you need to teach more on prophecy. And what they mean by that, they don't mean the spiritual gift of prophecy. They mean, I need to teach more in the book of Revelation and say, this is the Antichrist and this is what's happening and we're in the last days and all this kind of stuff. And the thing of it is, is I, 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 I know about that stuff. I like read that stuff. I'm familiar with that stuff. I know kind of where it fits in the history of like interpretation and understanding of the book of Revelation. I mean, when I was a kid in the 70s, there was this book called The Late Great Planet Earth. And the, it, was, it was about the end times. And it was basically saying like, we're living in the last days, the last of the last days. We're the final generation. This book was the biggest selling book in like the 70s. Not just among Christian books, but like books, period. And one of, you know, and it would say, this book would say like, okay, this is China, and this is, you know, the Soviet Union is Gog, and this is Magog, and, and this, this person might be the Antichrist, or this one might be the Antichrist, and this weird, like, beast in the book of Revelation is actually an Apache a cop, attack helicopter. And, you know, it was like really getting specific like that. And one of the things that Hal Lindsey, who wrote this book, believed was in something called the rapture of the church, which means like at the end of the age, there's going to be this like seven-year period where things are going to get crazy. And, uh, but then like before that, Jesus is going to come and take all of the Christians like out, you know, which doesn't, doesn't seem to be like Jesus's MO. Like he usually like lets Christians go through hard times and like is with them in the fire, not like taking them out of the fire, but whatever. That's what a lot of people believe. And so that's what this book believed. Now, I wasn't, I think, I don't think I would be cursing if I said reading that book when I was like 12 years old scared the hell out of me. Like it literally did because I was just like, oh no, this is going to happen. But I wasn't ready to become a Christian yet, but I was like, okay, down the road, I'm going to become a Christian because this all is going to be really bad. And I remember there was one day that I came home and my mother's car was in the driveway, but she wasn't in the house. But my dog was there and everything was there. And I'm just like, mom, mom. And then I'm like starting to pack, go downstairs, mom. Mom, mom, and I'm just like, oh no, it happened. She's gone. The rapture happened, and now it's me and the dog, and and probably my dad's gone. My sister's definitely here, but but my dad, my dad might be gone. And and I'm like, I'm like getting ready to call my grandmother because I'm like, if my grandmother doesn't answer the phone, it's on. You know, like that's it turned out my mother was like visiting with the neighbor, so she came back and like everything was good. But uh, but you know, the other thing too, so so we have this like we have this focus on things. And then, you know, Hal Lindsey, he wrote this book after that, the the 80s countdown to Armageddon. Like, listen, 
I mean, just let me get real with you. I know some boomer pastors, like when all this stuff was going on in the 70s. Um, I'm not a boomer, by the way. I'm an Xer, Gen X. I'm that transitional generation, Gen X. Okay, yes. But, but uh, I know some boomer pastors who, when this was such a big thing, they opted out of Social Security because they're just like, we're not going to need it because Jesus is obviously going to come back, so we'll just spend the money now. And I mean, there's been a lot of, you know, there's, there's just been, there's, like, like having this kind of focus on things is just not not, hasn't been good. It hasn't borne good fruit. And then, you know, Hal Lindsey wrote the 1980s countdown to Armageddon and all this stuff. And then people get into setting dates. You know, remember Jesus said, he said, nobody knows the day or the hour. But I've heard people be like, yeah, but he didn't say the month. And now seriously, that, so there was this guy named Harold Camping. Anybody remember Harold Camping like 10 years ago? He had this big radio thing. It was like big reach. He said the rapture, like that moment when all the Christians get taken out, was going to happen in October 2011. And people would be like, but Harold, Jesus said no man can know the day of the hour. He said, no, it was the month. I'm not saying the day. And, uh, and, so, and so we get to November and it's like, well, Harold, how did that work out for you? And, uh, and he said, well, it happened spiritually. That's convenient. You know, the rapture happens spiritually. So, so anyway, there's been, there's been all sorts of unhelpful kind of stuff that's, been, that's kind of gone on with that. And the reality is every generation has thought they were the last generation. Like if you read, if you read like Paul, like, you know, you get the sense in his writings that he didn't expect to live as like an old man. Like he thought Jesus, he was going to work for Jesus. Jesus was going to come back in his lifetime. You've had, you know, all throughout the centuries. I mean, when Genghis Khan was like marauding through Europe, everyone thought he's the Antichrist. This is the end. When you had, you know, Adolf Hitler rising up during World War II, Christians were like, he must be the Antichrist. You know, this is, this is the end. Look at what he's doing to the Jewish people. And, and so people have always, have always thought that. Now, now, one generation is going to be right, but every generation has always thought that they were the final generation. But that's not the only reason that I don't like fixate on this and talk about it a ton. I would say a bigger reason is because of our understanding of the kingdom of God. Now, what we believe is that, yes, one day Jesus is going to come and he's going to set up his kingdom. And it's going to be awesome. The lion's going to lay down with the lamb and there'll be, there'll be you know, healing and there'll be joy and there'll be peace and, and God's presence will be everywhere. But rather than sitting around and speculating about when this might happen and who might be who and how does this all work, what Jesus said is that we could pray for God's kingdom to come now. Right? And that we're a people who've tasted the powers of the age to come. And so what I would rather do is model and teach us to pray for the sick and see the power of the future age when Jesus comes, break into the healer here and now and heal the sick. I would rather see us, you know, in the name of Jesus, bring, bring about his justice in places where we can bring about his justice. I would rather have us focus on, on seeing more of God's presence, seeing more of his joy, seeing more of his life, seeing more of the kingdom now, rather than just speculating about when the kingdom of God might come in the future. Because the Bible says we're a people who have tasted the powers of the age to come. I've tasted the powers of the age to come. I can't wait for the fullness of the age to come, but I'm going to keep trying to have a taste. And so that's, that's kind of what we focus on here and trying to teach people how to do this stuff and how to move and operate in the kingdom of God. So, so let me, you know, all that was a setup for a couple of passages that I'm going to look at in the book of Daniel and just kind of give an overview, just kind of talk us through so you can get a sense of some of the prophetic pieces in the book of Daniel and you can kind of study it more on your own. The first is the 77s. The 77s. I love the 77s. When I first came across the 77s, I was like, whoa, this is amazing because it really is. It really is amazing. Let me read this for you. I'm going to read it and I'm going to kind of walk us through here. 
The 77s, this is Daniel chapter 9, the 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. No one understand this from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. There will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will, it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. But after sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. And say, okay, what are these, you know, seventy-sevens and sixty-two sevens and seven sevens? So what this is talking about is seventy-seven-year periods. Right? And so 70 times 7, it's 490. So it's talking about 490 years. And so, so what Daniel saw, he wrote in the 6th century B.C. So he wrote, about, wrote this about 600 years before Jesus. I think that what's going on here is that he saw Jesus. Because look at, look at the specificity. Look at what he says. So basically, like in, in 77, right? He said, he said, after the temple has been rebuilt. Now, a little background for that. So, so he was part of the group when he was a young, when he was a teenager. You know, um, Nebuchadnezzar, Babylonians come in, they destroy the temple, and they carry everybody off to Babylon. And so about 60 years after this is written, then what's going to happen is Ezra and Nehemiah, you can read about it in the Bible, they're going to be allowed to go back to Jerusalem and start rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the walls and building things back up again. But this hasn't happened yet. So like 60 years earlier, Daniel says, once the new temple is complete, then the 77s kick in. And then what's going to happen after that 490 years, I mean, let me just read this again. There's going to be, we're going to put in, your, there's going to be, we're going to finish transgression, put an end to sin, atone for wickedness. It talks about the anointed one, right? That's Jesus, right? The anointed one that uh, after 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death. Now, the, when they were talking about the Messiah, they didn't, like all of the prophets and others, they didn't understand that the Messiah was going to have to die. That was something, you know, Isaiah saw it in Isaiah 53, but Daniel clearly saw it here. So he saw the death of Jesus. He saw Jesus on the cross. He saw all that Jesus was going to do 600 years before Jesus came and did it. Now, when, when the temple was completed was around like 510, 515 B.C. And so I've, I've seen some people who kind of really do a deep dive and they like compare this calendar to that calendar and this year to that year and the other thing and kind of get back right to like this is the very day that Jesus died and it matches completely. I don't think you need to do that because, listen, if you're getting into 490 years, the prophecy that Daniel, that Daniel had brings you right to the, to the birth ministry life of Jesus. I mean, how crazy is it that, that 600 years earlier, he got it right down. He's like, hey, here's when the Messiah is going to come. And the reason why there were so many false messiahs around the time of Jesus, the reason why John the Baptist was able to say, I'm here to prepare the way of the Lord, and everyone's like, whoa, awesome, we're going to get baptized, is they knew the book of Daniel, and they could do the math. Like, they, they had a sense, they had an expectation that the Messiah was going to come. And it was prophesied in, you know, the 77s, it was prophesied by the, in the book of Daniel 600 years earlier. Now, it gets into, it talks about this, this interesting thing, I'll just put this out here. It says, uh, the end will come like a flood, verse 27. He will, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So now what some people have interpreted this to mean 
is that the final seven, have you heard about like the people, some people believe like the tribulation is a seven-year period. And so what some people who think like, okay, it's a, it's a, it's a literal seven years and there's a literal antichrist and this is what's going to play out, that, that in that seven-year period at the end of the age, that, uh, that the antichrist is going to allow the Jewish people to rebuild the temple and that they're going to reinstitute, re- reinstitute sacrifices and about, you know, they'll go back to having animal sacrifices and about halfway through, the Antichrist is going to say, forget about the animal sacrifices, I'm coming into the temple, now you're going to worship me. And so that seems to be, you know, people who like see it literally and not figuratively would say that, that seems to be what's happening and then that's, that's talked about more in the book of Revelation. But that's the first thing with the, the 77s and just the way that it like pinpoints the birth of Jesus I think is just incredible. Here's another one. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. It says, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. And so, you've heard of guardian angels? Well, Michael was the guardian angel, the archangel Michael for the nation of Israel. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. So again, he gets a glimpse, like before the kingdom of God comes, things are going to get really bad, go from bad to worse. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. You know what? You know, I've heard this funny, interesting thing from critics of the Bible. They'll be like, well, you know, the Old Testament doesn't even believe in like life after death. And that was a new thing that happened with Jesus. And it's like, well, here it is right in the Right in the book of Daniel, it says so clearly, you know, multitudes who sleep in the depths of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go, th- will go here and there to increase knowledge. So what I want you to focus on, there's a lot here is interesting, but it's the same thing, like the end of the age, things will get crazy. But if your name is written in the book of life, there's a book. And if your name is written in, in that book, you're good. If your name isn't written in that book, not so good. Right? If your name isn't in that book, then you're going you're gonna to rise again. But you know, your future is not going to be to come into the, the things of God, into the kingdom of heaven. You're going to be shut out of the kingdom of heaven. And your future is going to involve shame and contempt. Now, now, when I proclaim the gospel, when I invite people to come to Jesus, I'm not like a fire and brimstone preacher. I'm not one of those preachers who's like, turn or burn. You know, you're going to go to hell and you've got to accept Jesus. And what I like to focus on is that Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. And I like to focus on, you know what, all the things that you're looking for, all the things that you're looking for in your life, you're going to find in Jesus. Like what you don't realize is what you're looking for is you're looking for Jesus. You're looking for love, you know, like that old country song, looking for love in all the wrong places. You're, you're looking for Jesus, right? Or, or that trying to find your purpose in this, that, or the other thing. You're made on purpose for a purpose. You're trying to discover your purpose. Like you're trying to, there's a, there's a joy, there's a life, there's a peace, there's a hope, there's a strength and comfort that you can only find in Jesus. And oh, by the way, we get all that in heaven too. Right? There's a lot of other preachers who just focus on the heaven part. And, you know, but I like to focus on the abundant life that Jesus offers us. But here, here's the reality. You know, we, you know I, I give an invitation to accept Jesus probably you know, most of my sermons. And, and, and many of you have at one point in you know, some sermon over the last few years, you prayed to accept Jesus. Right? You prayed to accept Jesus here in this church. And so what happens when you did that is your name 
was written in the book of life. See, your name, like your name wasn't in that book before. Your name was in another book. And we'll, I'll, get, I'll show you in the book of Revelation a little bit, this other book. But then what happened was your name got like X'd out of that book. And because, of, because you accepted the free gift that Jesus offers, your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. And, and listen, the, there's, you know, this thing, this reality is like this world that we live in right now. Sometimes people will be like, oh, Jesus, spirituality, things. It's not that important. No, there's going to be a day. There's going to be a moment where like the most important thing, when, you're, when, when, when everyone is resurrected from the dead and then the books are opened and you're standing before God and you know that your name is written in that Lamb's book of life, right? When you know that he who knew no sin became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God and that your name was transferred from the book of death into the book of life, and now you can come into the presence of God, and you can come into the kingdom of God, and here, come into the kingdom that was prepared for you before the foundation of the world, you're going to be really glad that you prayed that prayer. (laughs) You're going to be really glad that we had all, you know, all this, all the abundant life, you know, and, and heaven too. Now, but there's something else that's really interesting here in this passage. At the very end of it, it says, it says, many will go here and there to increase knowledge. And that's actually not a great translation. It should be many will go here and there and knowledge will increase. Now, I've heard people speculate. And again, this is speculation. And, you know, I don't spend a lot of time doing this, but it's kind of interesting. So I'll throw this one out there. What if Daniel had a vision of the future, right? Daniel saw our times or maybe, a, you know, a hundred years or a couple hundred years later, who knows what. And, and so many are going from here to there. And people have speculated, well, maybe he saw like air travel. You know, maybe so we think about like I can go to JFK right now or Newark and I can get on a plane and be in Taiwan in like 17 hours. Right. I mean, that's never happened before. This ability like you ever watch, you know, like air traffic controller maps and all the planes that are in the air at one time. It's just amazing how people are going here and there. The other thing and that, I mean, that's never happened in history before. The other thing is it says and knowledge will increase. And so basically it took like thousands of years for, if you take humans' knowledge, right, the the collective knowledge of humanity, it took thousands of years for it to double. And then once it doubled, then after that it took about 200 years for it to double again. And then it took like 50 years to double again. And then 30 years to double again. And then a couple years to double again. And I was kind of researching this because I wanted to make sure I wasn't saying something that wasn't true. Uh, But now there's lots of people who believe that now because of like quantum computing, that human knowledge is is doubling like every day. Like every day because of the speed of which computers can do calculations and put things together that we're in this place where knowledge is just increasing like crazy. And so people wonder, well, maybe that's something that Daniel saw. He saw people going here and there and knowledge increasing. That's certainly something that's happening in these days. One more. Daniel chapter 12, verse 8 to 13. He says, I heard, but I did not understand. Now I love that. You know, you ever have that where you're just like, I understand all the words that you're saying, like every word in that sentence, but I have no idea what you're talking about. So that's what, that's what Daniel says to the angels. Like, I'm hearing this, but I don't get it. And he says, my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? And he replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. He's basically saying, Daniel, you don't need to know all the details. 
And I would say this is another example that I, you know, of why, why we have the focus that we have. And it's like, listen, we know some things. We know that Jesus is going to come back. We know that he's going to win at the end. We know that things are probably going to get worse before they get better. You know, we know that there's going to be temptations to abandon the faith. And there's going to, you know, Bible talks about this great apostasy where many people fall away. Like, we know all this will go on. We know that, you know, it's going to be hard to be a follower of Jesus. So, you know, it's going to get harder as kind of time goes on, not easier. Like, we, like we all know that, but we don't need to know the details. Details. We don't need to know the times and the dates. He says, he says, you know, go your way, Daniel. You just keep being faithful to God. You keep serving him. You keep living out your purpose. You, you stay true to him because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. The words are rolled up and sealed. Like, like Jesus is one day going to come and set his foot on planet earth. He's going to come back again. I'll tell you what, you know, I find that the older I get, I used to, when I was a kid, when I was early, you know, new in my faith, I thought I knew everything about everything. And I'd argue about, like, are you a premillennialist or an amillennialist? Are you this, you know, or a postmillennialist? Like, all this stuff. I'm not even going to tell you what all this means. It doesn't, because it doesn't matter. And I would argue and I'd fight about it and stuff. But I find that the older I get, the more I kind of let go. Like, I, I don't need to pretend that I know everything about everything. And I've kind of let, you know, let things like, oh, okay, you know, Christians can agree to disagree about that. But there's, like, a few things that I really say, like, here's something that I know. Here's something that I know, and here's something that I'll, I'll go to the mat for. And, and, and there's less of those than there used to be, but the ones that are left are stronger than they've ever been. And I say the one that's at the top of the list, what I know that I know, is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and that Jesus Christ is going to come back again, and that those words, that truth, that reality is sealed in a scroll. It's like sealed. I know, like I could, you know, I, I know because of what I've experienced. I know from history. I know from apologetics. I know from just the arc of where the world is going. Like I know that I, when I stand up here, I remember someone, someone said to me, you know, who's new to the church, and they're like, I like your preaching. It seems like you really believe it. And I'm like, yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. I really do. I really do believe it. I really do believe that, that Jesus, is, Jesus is coming back again. I really do believe that if you open your heart to Jesus and you open your life to him, that you can experience something through Jesus that you're not going to experience anywhere else, that you're going to experience the abundant life, you're going to experience the peace and comfort that only comes from him. And one day, one day you're going to stand before him and your name's going to be in that book and you're going to be like, man, I'm so glad I made the choices that I made. I'm so glad that I prayed that prayer. I'm so glad that I, put, that, I, that I imperfectly put Jesus in the center of my life and tried to follow him when there were so many temptations to go down the broad road that leads to destruction. By God's grace, I chose by his grace and his mercy the narrow road that leads to life. And I'm telling you, you are not going to regret it. I'm getting all my preaching out right now before I go on vacation. But anyway, so, so he says, Go your way because the words are rolled up, sealed. Many will be purified made spotless and refined, right? So again, I think seeing the atonement of Jesus, seeing what Jesus did, that we're going to be cleansed. But, but you know what? None of the, uh, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. And then he gets into the whole thing about that final seven years and the abomination that causes desolation, you know, and whatever that might be. From that time, the daily sacrifice is abolished. Uh, there'll be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. Let me just focus on this. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. So let me just say something real quick. 
Because I find this is something that Christians get confused about. What happens when we die? Right? Because we've got, you know, like the end of the age and the resurrection and all that happens. Like, but what happens? And I've, you know, at funerals that I've given, I've tried to provide comfort because people are just like, where is my husband? Like, where is my father? You know? And, and so let's say tonight, I'm going to see Elton John, and let's say that during, you know, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, it's my time to personally sing Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, and I'm, and, and I'm done. That's it. My time on earth is, is over. So... What'll happen is, first of all, I hope that you guys would all be very sad. I hope that you all would miss me. But, but what the Bible clearly says is that I would be present with Jesus, right? Because Jesus said to the thief on the cross, he said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so my understanding, and I think the biblical teaching, is that, is that my body would at some point, you know, over the next week go into the ground, but my spirit would go and be with Jesus in, in the spiritual kingdom of heaven. And so I would be, that would be my, a place of rest. That would be a place of, you know, like it says to Daniel, go enjoy your rest, your paradise, whatever you want to call it. But I would be present with Jesus, seeing Jesus, worshiping Jesus, to, you know, that it's, that it's better, like Paul said, to depart and be with the Lord is way better, so it's going to be really good. But that's not the final resting place. The final resting place is not for you to be like, like a spiritual being in spiritual heaven. Because what Daniel is talking about, what Jesus is talking about, what John saw at the end is that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And so what's going to happen is the spiritual heaven and the physical earth is going to merge and it's going to make a reality version 2.0 where you're going to have this like spiritual and corporal reality that's kind of on top of each other. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, he was the first one who got body version 2.0. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus had a spiritual body. And so, so it's not like, like right now we have a physical body and our, we have a spirit inside of it, but our body is physical. When we're resurrected from the dead, we will have a spiritual body. And that's why Jesus, like when he's, after he rose from the dead, he saw the you know, disciples on the road to Emmaus and, and they didn't recognize him because he had a spiritual body and he could do that. He would just kind of appear in the, you know, in the middle of a room. Uh, but he would also eat fish with the disciples on the beach and he ascended into heaven. And so, and so we have, we're, we're with God in spiritual heaven, but the hope is that one day our expectation is that that earth and the, the physical earth and spiritual heaven will merge and will create a new reality and our bodies will be caught up in that, in that new reality. And, so, uh, and so, so just to kind of understand, that's, that's what the Bible teaches. And it get a little confusing about, well, wait, what is this? What is the rest? And then what is the uh, resurrection at the end of the age? So let me just wrap this all up with a couple of thoughts. So how should we live? How should we live in light of all this, rather than just like, okay, this is kind of cool, this is kind of interesting. How should we live? And the first is this, follow God, not culture. And I would say this could be like a way to wrap up this whole book, this whole series that we've done. Follow God, not culture, because you know what? Culture changes a lot. Now, one of the prophecies that I, got, that I didn't get into was found in Daniel chapter 7. And in that, Daniel saw these four beasts, and each beast represented a different kingdom, like really powerful kingdom. So you had the Babylonian kingdom, right? That was the first beast, most powerful nation at the time. And then, you know, after that, you had the Persian kingdom, 
which came right after the Babylonian kingdom. Then he saw the Greek kingdom with, Arad, with Alexander the Great. Then he saw the Roman kingdom. You know, Julius Caesar, he saw all that. And so he saw these incredibly powerful kingdoms, these incredibly powerful cultures. But then right after that, it says this in Daniel 7, verses 13 to 14. He says, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, Remember when Jesus in the Gospels would always say that he was the Son of Man and that would make the Pharisees mad? It's because he was referring to this. He was referring to the book of Daniel. One like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days. He approached the Father and was led into his presence. He was given, Jesus was given, authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so we worship God, not culture. Because cultures come and go, but Jesus is the one who has the everlasting authority, the everlasting kingdom. His kingdom, his rule will never end. I remember, you know, about a year or so ago, I was having a conversation with someone. And this person was basically saying, you know, um, you know, what your church does is great. You know, you feed the poor, you do all this great stuff. But listen, if you don't get more with the times, if you don't, if you don't start lining more up with culture, you're not going to have a church. Like, people are just going to start coming. And, and I just worry because I think, I think your church is good and I want it to continue. But if you don't, if you, if you kind of don't, if you keep, like, interpreting the Bible literally and doing all these different things, you're, you're not going to have a church. And so what I, what I said to this person, you know, we weren't having a fight. It was just a conversation. I said, listen, here's the reality. Yeah, so I embrace, you know, the, the historic understanding of the Christian faith. The way, the way Christians have thought about faith and the Bible and Jesus for 2,000 years. I embrace the historic Christian faith. And you know what? With the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago, it really looked like the Christians didn't have a chance. Like the Roman Empire was so strong and so powerful and they were doing everything that they could to wipe out Christianity. But you know what? The Roman Empire was, one day was gone, but Christians are still around today all over the world. And then you had, you know, you take, I could use lots of examples. I, I think about Christendom. You know, like the Middle Ages. And Christendom was this kind of dark time, honestly, in church history because there was this blending of like the power of, of the state and the throne with Christianity. And it was, you know, and it was just everything just got messed up and you had the Crusades and you had the Inquisition and everything was corrupt. But that all came and went. But, but real followers of Jesus, they remained. You got the 20th century. And then you had the Soviet Union the Soviet Union and Communist China, and they said, we are an atheist state. We're going to kill all the priests. We're going to wipe out the Christians. We're going to totally eradicate Christianity. Karl Marx said that, that religion was the opiate of the masses. But in China, no matter how much they've tried to use the full weight of the state of China to wipe out Christianity, Christianity during the 20th century into the 21st century is growing like crazy in China. It's, the, it's growing just exponentially, no matter what they do, they can't wipe it out. You look in Iran these days, and I, I've heard first-hand accounts from people, this is a thing that's happening in Iran, as they're trying to wipe out Christianity. The Christian church is growing like one of the fastest places of growth in the world is in Iran. And one of the ways that's happening is because Jesus is appearing to these Iranians in the middle of the night in their dreams and say, hey, I'm Jesus, I'm the one that you're looking for. And so what I said to this person, and again, I wasn't fighting, I just said, listen, I said, whatever's going on in our culture right now, 
Like whatever it is, you know, this whether cancel culture or whatever, whatever it is, whatever it is that's making it harder to be a Christian, whatever it is that's making a lot of people say, I don't know if I, I'm going to leave the faith, I'm going to deconstruct or whatever it is, whatever this is, it's going, it's going to come and go. But Jesus is going to remain. And the church of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus said that, the, that, that he's going to build his church and establish his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Jesus' church can't stop, won't stop. Don't bow to culture, bow to Jesus. Because culture isn't going to last. Jesus is the king of a kingdom that's going to last forever and ever. Here's my second point, real quick. Make the most of this life. Make the most of this life. You know, this life is not about this life. This life is about us trying to make the biggest difference that we can make for God. Because the reality, this world that we live in right now, right? There's, there's beauty, but there's pain. And there's, there's ugliness. There's, there's love and there's hate. There's, there's friendship and there's, there's division. I mean, there's all this stuff in this broken world that we live in. And we have an opportunity to represent the kingdom of God and to tell people, Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to know you. Jesus is making a way. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He's redeeming everything. We get to be a part. We get to be ambassadors of heaven. And so it's so easy for us to get sidetracked with all the nice things that we have in this world, and you have your job, and we're making money, and all these things, and you know, they're good things. They're not bad. But we need to realize like what life really is about. That we keep Jesus at the center, and that we, that we do what we can, as it says in, in, uh, in Acts 13, 36, when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep. So David had to serve God's purposes in his generation. Right? He couldn't come into our generation and serve God's purposes. He was responsible for his generation. We are responsible for our generation. And so what I want to encourage you is that we really dial in as we get, you know, the summer, we relax, we go on vacation, we go to the beach. But let's come back and let's serve God's purposes in our generation. Let's, let's live on purpose. Let's make together make a difference in this world. Let's together, through the North Jersey Vineyard, let's proclaim the gospel. Let's proclaim the life of Jesus. Let's feed the hungry. Let's see God's justice come wherever it can, wherever we can bring it. Let's lay hands on sick people and see them get well. And let's preach the gospel with the hopes that in the years to come, hundreds of e- even maybe thousands of people will have their name written in the Lamb's Book of life because of what the North Jersey Vineyard has done together as we try to be faithful to God in our generation. And so let's come into everything that God has for us. You know, the, the early Christians, they had this, this phrase, this saying, and you see it at the end of one of Paul's letters to the Corinthians, Maranatha. So like when they were getting ready to, you know, they were leaving, they'd be like, Maranatha. And what Maranatha literally meant was, come Lord Jesus. And so they were living, like enjoying their family and enjoying a meal and enjoying an Elton John concert or enjoying whatever, all the different things in life. But their eyes were fixed on Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, we can't wait. We're going to serve you. We're going to seek you in this life. We're going we're gonna to be faithful to our generation. And we can't wait until you come and set up your kingdom. And so we're living our life with an eye on that. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. The last thing is this. Be ready for Jesus' return. Be ready for Jesus' return. Listen, as I say all the time, 
Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life, and I'm going to keep on trying to convince you that. We're going to sing songs that's going to try to convince you that, and your friend who brought you here today is going to try to convince you that, and your small group leader is going to try to convince you that, and kids in Sunday and kids' church are being convinced of that. But Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15, says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And so here's the reality. Is that there's another book. And there's a book where all the stuff that Phil Trollian has done that would bar him from the kingdom of heaven that would make it so like, listen, Phil, if we let you in here, you're just going to mess this place up so you can't come in. I'm so sorry. All those things that I've done, like there's a, you know, it was all written in a book. And the stuff that you've done, it was written in a book. But you see, what happens, that moment that you accept the free gift of salvation, Jesus' blood will erase all of the deeds, all of the things that were done in that other book and, and will write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Right? He who knew no sin became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. We don't deserve to be in that book of life. But because of what Jesus has done, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And the way, listen, the way that you get your name written in the Lamb's book of life, it's not by trying to be a really good person. It's not by, you know, just, just going on some, some like spiritual path or, or doing certain good deeds or anything like that or hoping that at the end of your, a lot of people, most people believe in one form or another that, that it's about having your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. You know, that's going to be balanced out. That's not how it works. The way that we get our names written in the last book of life, Jesus said this. He said, I'm at the door and I'm knocking. And if you open up the door, I'm going to come in. And I'm going to come in and I'm going to be with you. And I'm going I'm to change you from the inside. And so if you're here today and you have, you, you have not opened up the door of your heart to let Jesus in. If you're here today and you're like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure my name is written in that last book of life. I'm not sure. Because listen, you might have your spouse, right? Like they're like really into Jesus and they're like all about it. And so like, they're, like their name's written in, but that doesn't mean yours is, right? Just because your parents' name is written doesn't mean yours is. Jesus has, you know, he's got lots of children. God has lots of children. He doesn't have any grandchildren, right? Meaning that, that you're, you have to invite Jesus in so that your name is written in that last book of life. And if you're ready to do that, I want to give you an opportunity because as I say, you know what, listen, Jesus is going to make your life better. Jesus is going to give you a joy and a peace and a strength. It's not going to be easy, but you're going to find something in Jesus that you don't find anywhere else. But I believe that everything that I just read is something that's going to happen one day. Maybe sooner than we realize. You know, maybe we are the final generation. Who knows? But what I do know is there's going to come a time when you're, when you're going to either be really glad that your name is written in that book, or you're going to wish that your name was written in that book. 
And when I, you know, when I think about my purpose and I think about what God's calling me to in this next season, I want to see, you know, through our church and through what we do, I want to see as many names written in the Lamb's Book of Life as we can as God calls us to be faithful to our generation. So let's stand together and let's pray. God, I bless your presence here right now. And all this is a lot, God. A lot of stuff that we've kind of thrown out, we've talked about. But Lord Jesus, I know that you're real. And that you're in this room. And I know, God, that one day we're going to see you face to face. And I just pray that if there's anyone here right now who is not ready yet to see you, who isn't anyone who isn't confident that their name is written in that Lamb's Book of Life. Lord, I pray that you would give them faith to believe right now. I pray that you would give them the grace and the faith and the courage that they need to surrender their life to you. And I wonder if maybe some of you right now are almost like feeling that kind of knocking like your heart's beating a little bit faster or just feel like something's going on. And that's the Holy Spirit saying, today is your day of salvation. Today is the day and the time for you to receive the greatest gift. Right? Saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. We put our faith in Him. He writes our name in that book. And so if you're ready for that, I want you to pray this prayer. You can say it out loud. You can just say it in your heart, however you want to do it. Jesus sees your heart. But say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross in my place. I believe you rose from the dead, and you're here right now. You atoned for my sin. So please forgive all my sin. And come and live inside of me through your Holy Spirit. Because from here on out, I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I want to be faithful to you. And so I accept your free gift of salvation. Thank you that you are writing my name in your book of life. Keep your eyes closed, but if you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand if you prayed that prayer this, this morning. Okay, awesome. Awesome. And I'm going to ask you to do one other thing. You can either, on the physical connection card on the back, you can check off that you decided to follow Jesus, or you can text follow to this number, and then uh, a screen will pop up. You can just give your email, and we'll, we'll send some information to you, that some things that you can read and some steps that you can take that will really help you as you try to walk this out and kind of figure out the next steps. Let's have some people from the prayer ministry team come up. We're going to pass the baskets. I almost forgot. Go ahead and pass the baskets down. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, so if we could have some people from the prayer ministry team come on up, just be ready to pray for some folks. But here's, here's something that I think God wants to do this morning. You know, maybe, maybe there's, there's a way in your life, there's just been something's going, something has been going on, some, some situation in your life that has made it really hard for you to focus Focus on what you want your life to be about. Focus on what God is saying to you and where he's leading you. 
that there, maybe you've been carrying a lot of stuff and, and you've just been a little bit kind of, you know, divided. I think today is a day for you to take whatever, whatever concerns, whatever it is you're carrying, and just lay it down at Jesus' feet and say, Jesus, you take this burden. You take this, this problem, this thing that's been distracting me because I want to focus on you. I want to focus on what you're calling me to do in this generation. I want you to have my undivided heart. And so I just, I just think that specifically, I, you know, there's whatever you want prayer for, come up, maybe healing, whatever it is. But I think maybe for some of us, God is asking us to kind of focus in a little bit more on who he is and what he's called us to. Because this is kind of an opportunity for us to kind of reset and say, Lord, we want to come into this, this come into September, come through the summer into everything that you have for us, God that we would be faithful to you in our generation. So if that's, you know, just come on up, let somebody pray for you, whatever your needs are. The Holy Spirit is here. He's moving and ministering. God bless you guys. Have a, have a great rest of your summer, and I will see you in a few weeks.